I saw Rory took his slops off because he was so intimidated. The band want these, um, want these shoes. There's a story and there's a reason I'm wearing them, um, apart from my great fashion sense. <laughs> there's a story behind these. If you want to hear it, I'll chat to you afterwards. These were designed for me, actually. But just before I start, didn't you love the worship this morning, hey? Wonderful, hey? Well done, JJ and the team. What a privilege to be able to gather as God's people eh? and, and to be led. You know, it takes a lot of preparation, that. I, I know I play occasionally with the band. Thursday night practice, arguing about keys, notes too high, too low, doing lovely arrangements, lovely melodies. But as I was worshiping this morning, I, I looked up and I saw that God is love, which has been there all the years since, you know, from, the previous, from the previous regime. 1965. And as I saw that, we were singing that song, and it just talks about, you know, you are here, touching every heart, healing hearts. And as I was worshiping, I thought, you are here, Lord. Amazing, eh? Even though we, we can't see, you know, the, not only are there great melodies in what we worship, but there's great theology, and all I've been is theology is it's truth about who our God is. And so I, I don't have to preach this morning in a sense, because if you had just worshipped and just that next song, like over the overwhelming, reckless love of God. Now that gets, people get a bit faithful there. Reckless just means that you take a chance without a, in a sense, you, you don't know what's going to happen. It's like God pours his love and his love out towards a very disobedient people. When I was your foe, you stood after me, Lord. It's like, you know, you give, we're giving God the finger in a sense, and we his enemies and he still loves us. It's just amazing. Isn't that beautiful? Um, and that's who our God is. That's who our Jesus is. And this is this book of Hebrews, which is such a great book. But before I get to the book of Hebrews, five weeks ago, the church closed down. You'll remember that. What closed the church? Comrades. So the building was locked up. If and be it overrun this place. So Sands, myself, and Emma earlier, about this, well, earlier than this, Joined Werner at his uh, bra on the corner there by the Catholic Church, just over the bridge. And we watched the comrades, runners come through. Yeah, first the, the leaders came through, and I said to Emma, look at the size of this guy's stride. I mean, you think, come on, man. You know, that, that, it's like I can't sprint that fast for 100 meters. They've been going for hours, and they've got to get to Durban. Then the silver, hopeful, silver medalist guys came through behind that. And then, of course, you get the vast bulk of, like, all shapes and sizes like staggering past. And, I, and there was one particular thing that stood out to me. A guy came and you could see he was like, you know, I saw him come out of the bridge and I thought, look, he, he, he's going to die before he gets to us. You know? But he saw Werner turning the voice on the bride and he like staggered across and sat down in a spare chair. And Werner gave him a voice and we gave him some coke, you know, healthy stuff. And like we chatted to him and he revived and we sort of sent him off down the road to the finishing, to the goal. To the, to the finish. That's what he was hoping to get. Whether he got there or not, we don't know. And the most important thing about the comrades over the years that I've watched while I've been on this planet, I think is the incredible encouragers and watchers. I mean, the, the streets are lined from jo, uh, Durban to Durban. To, Durban to, that's the next ultramarathon. But from Maritzburg to Durban, the streets are lined with people who just love, they shout in encouragement. My Emma saying, go, go. She doesn't know, go. Saying, Emma, get back, you're going to get run over by one of these guys. But that's the, the encouragers. Because it's one of the great ultra marathons of the world, hey? It's over twice a normal marathon. 
Which brings me to a bit of history. I, can't, I either have to have a song or some history to open up a preach. The modern marathon actually dates back in some ways to a famous battle, 490 BC. Darius I, the Persian king, was a bit of a lunatic sort of empire builder, had sent a fleet with over 25,000 Persian highly trained soldiers on the fleet to attack Athens, a much smaller little city-state. And um, the Athenians knew they were in trouble. So they sent to Sparta, who were like the modern-day brand of mercenaries, like the Wagner Group. And, and they, they were sent them with money and said, come and help us. Anyway, for logistical reasons, Sparta never arrived. But around that grew up a bit of a legend and some history. Um, the, it was like a David and Goliath thing. And what, what, what the legend is is that the guy that got sent to run 153 miles from Athens to Sparta to ask for help didn't get the help. And then he runs back. And then against all odds, David beats Goliath. The Athenians triumph. And with that, this herald... Um, whose name, it's quite interesting, is called Phaedipides, nice name. But what a herald was in those days, they had no um, WhatsApps, they had no MTN towers that sometimes work or don't depend on low shedding. What they had is they had heralds who were guys that were trained athletes that would run from town to town in relays and deliver messages quickly across the, across the state. And he gets um, sent to go back from once the victory, the unlikely victory is. They, oh, let me read. It says, they, um, they send him back, and he, he, he gets there running in Athens, and then as he gets there, he shouts out in Greek, charete nikomen, which is rejoice, we are the winners. And with that, has a heart attack and dies. Now, there was a great poem written about it, which I'm going to subject you to. Here of Australia. Just some background to this poem by Robert Browning. Um, it's written in old English, but it captures the passion of the story of this herald running the marathon because the battle was at a place in Greece called Marathon, which is where our modern idea of a marathon comes from. And this, the little town of Marathon was exactly 40 odd kilometers, 26.2 miles from Marathon to the Acropolis in Athens. And they would be rewarded, these, you joked about the force roll, they would be rewarded with a, a nice jug of mead if the guy got his message through. So here is Browning's poem with a few stanzas. So when Persia was dust, after the dust had settled and Persia had been ground down, all the battle cried, to the Acropolis, run, Phaedipides, run one more race. The mead will be thy due. Athens is saved. Thank Pan, which is one of their Greek gods. They shouldn't have been thanking, but they did. Go and shout. And so he flung down his shield, run and ran like a fire once more. And the space between that field, the battlefield in Athens, was like stubble, a field which fire runs through, till it in he broke. Rejoice, we conquer, he shouted. And like wine through clay, joy in his blood burst in his heart, he died. The bliss. You think, well, what the bliss? So to this day, when friend meets friend, the word of salute is still rejoice. His word which brought rejoicing indeed. So is Pheidippides happy forever, the noble strong man who could race like a god, bear the face of a god whom a god loved so well. He saw the land saved, he had helped to save, and was suffered to tell such tidings. 
and then goes on. Athens is saved. Isn't it a beautiful story? Now, you think, why am I wasting time talking about the comrades of Marathon? Our text this morning is Hebrews chapter 12, which is the most amazing chapter. Haven't you enjoyed our journey in Hebrews? Hey, just be bound. Because where are we in this, in this story at the moment? Well, we've heard in the first 10 chapters that there is no one quite like our Jesus. You know, angels are quite cool and powerful, but Jesus is far more cool and powerful. This guy reminds these Hebrew. I mean, Moses was quite a big hitter in terms of, you know, the law and whatever. He was an amazing man. But Jesus outshines him. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, the old covenant and the Torah, which was so beautiful, God revealing to his people who he was and how, how to live a thriving life. That was beautiful. But that was the old covenant. The new covenant is just like so much better. And it was Jesus that institutes that and inaugurates this new covenant, which does away with all those rules and just brings us into God's presence as his people, just free, gratis. Isn't that beautiful? And so that's, that's where we find ourselves. And there's a transition coming now. Two weeks ago, Taryn beautifully unpacked Hebrews 11, which was all those heroes of the faith, the men and women who did so much mighty deeds for God. But I use the word I said to Matt, I felt God say those are small heroes with a small little H. Because we know that even the best of them were like fatable. Abraham was a liar at times. This guy did that. You know, all of those heroes, they had... They were human. They had their feet of clay. We now come into chapter 12, where the hero is the capital H hero, who is Jesus. And we're going to unpack that. But let me read the text. So read with me. It's going to come up. Can we have Hebrews 12? I'm just doing the first 13 verses, and we're going to read it, and then I'll unpack it. And you will see now why we talked about the comrades. Therefore, very important words we'll get back to. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people, spectators, let us throw off everything that hinders and, run, and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, the writer says, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is a letter of encouragement. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, like Jesus did. And have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son and my daughter... Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, We've all had human fathers and mothers, I'm adding that, who disciplined us, because in our house, mother did most of the discipline, um, and we respect them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, 
But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Isn't that a lovely passage? And now, I'm going to unpack that passage, but I want to just read that same passage, and it's not going to come up there, so just listen. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the Message Bible, and I just love the way he captures, in a modern sense, what the author is talking about, because he's using the picture of a race and discipline, two big themes in those verses. Peterson says, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, take your boots off, Hazel, you can't run like that. Start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, love handles. These are my love handles. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we are in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again and again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you, to say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children? And that God regards you, us, as his children. Dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you, and that's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training, the normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so that we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live as God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course... It pays off big time, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. Amen. So don't sit around on your hands, church. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners so that no one will trip and fall, so no one will step in a hole, sprain an ankle, help each other out, and run for it. I could close there, and it would be beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that a lovely picture? Don't you get the sense of encouragement that he's captured and that's what this pastor who's writing this letter of Hebrews, he's saying, come on, church. Look at Jesus. Look what he put up with for us. Don't lose hope. Get, get cracking. Take off those silly boots, Hazel. Put on something light. Get rid of that excess love handle. Go for it. There's a finish line. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful themes, isn't it? And this picture of a race is not unique to the book of Hebrews. That old apostle Paul, I don't know if Paul was much of a runner, 
because apparently he was quite short and had, they, they say, had knobbly, bow-legged knees, but he might have been quite good. Some of the guys I saw run past here looked like they weren't going to, they shouldn't have got here and looked like they were going to get there. In Corinthians, Paul says, we, you've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everybody runs, one wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold or silver or bronze medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that is gold eternally. I don't know about you, Paul says, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I've given it everything I've got. No lazy living for me. I'm staying alert in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out myself. So that's the picture, this beautiful race. Now, uh, as a younger man, I did do a bit of running. At the moment, as Brian Orber would tell you, I like to walk. I like to walk on the golf course. I like to walk to watch birds, because that's my pace. And there's a famous logo that some of you might recognize. Could we have that logo up now? Oh. Now, you might be saying, hey, so you're preaching in a church. What are you doing advertising good whiskey? And it is good whiskey. What's the next one? I'm a slow walker, but I never walk backwards. Hey, Abraham Lincoln, great quote. In 1999, the then CEO of the biggest spirits company, a chap Menendez, came up with this keep walking campaign, which was the most successful global advertising campaign ever. It started before that because the guy, John Walker, after whom the famous whiskey Jolly Walker is named, was a Scottish chap that lost his father in the 18, early 1800s, and they had to sell the family farm. But this guy was quite an entrepreneur. He built up a business, a little grocery store, but in those days, the grocery stores in Scotland sold single malt whiskies at the same time. And of course, it exploded. His sons took over the business and then the grandsons. And in the, in the early 1900s, they were looking in those days to, to advertise. And they hired one of the top young illustrators in Scotland, a chap, chap called Tom Brown, who went out for a lunch with the directors and sketched the original Walking Man logo on the back of a menu. Lovely story. And uh, that campaign for me is, and it's a very good campaign if you go and look at how they've taken that into different countries and different cultures to promote whiskey. But what I thought when I read, I thought, a lot of those quotes and a lot of those pictures can actually be translated into our Christian walk. Keep walking, Grant. Keep walking, Dave. Keep walking, Matt. And I could just keep going. And we can look at what Paul writes and the, guy to, the writer of Hebrews they wanted us to finish the race that we started. And uh, I think we can get creative. I need to get more creative in terms of my own ability to motivate myself in a sense because of God's call on my life and to encourage one another. Because that's what this, this is what we, when we get together on Sunday, we come to worship the Lord together. But it's also like these times where we just gather together and say, Come on, church. It's a chance for preachers like myself to remind everyone, we're in a race. You might have fallen over. You might feed in a little bit. You need a voice roll to get you going, but keep going. The finish is just down the hill, man. Just get to that stadium. Go down. Okay, you've got Cowie's Hill, but once then it's downhill, man, roll down into the finish and get your medal. 
And that's what I felt God say to me as I was preparing. I thought, man, Lord, Hebrews has just excited me again. Hazel, you're 65 years of old, age of age, 65 years old, age. Keep going, man. Don't, don't fossilize. Stay passionate. Stay in the race. You know, I might be a slow walker, but I'm not going to go backwards. No, I'm keeping going, Lord. Isn't that exciting? So, when we respond to Jesus' call, all of us, he says, come follow me. That's, 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 what, that's what in my life. I was a young man, and I heard that call through another man, but it sounded like it was as if by God's spirit, he was saying to me, Grant, enough of this, of your, doing things your way. Follow my son, Jesus. And as a young 15-year-old, I said, okay, count me in. And it's been, a, you know, it's, it's been like a rocky road, like the comrades. There were times where you think this is such an easy, um, you stride it out. And next moment, you, you're like hobbling with cramp, or you're sitting down waiting for someone to massage the back of your leg and encourage you to get going. But that's the race we're in. So in my last few minutes, I'm going to give you a few pointers. So we start that we're in a race. And verse 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and then sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him. The first little takeout from that passage for me is, Grant, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. It's like when I grew up, the great comrade's icon was Bruce Fordyce. So every young runner would be looking to his training, you know, what was Fordyce doing to succeed at his racing? And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. Look at Jesus. Take what was, look at his life. Look at the way he finished his race. When Jesus is praying that beautiful prayer in John 17, he says this, he says, I have brought you, he's talking to his father, he says, I have brought you glory on the earth by completing the work you gave me, Father. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence. Beautiful. Jesus got to the end of his race and could say, I've finished the work you gave me. Matt and I were just talking about this idea of racing and discipline, and recently a number of older saints in the faith have died. I'm thinking of, if you know these names, Tim Keller, great church planter in Manhattan, Presbyterian. The late Dallas Willard, amazing man. Um, Eugene Peterson, the guy that translated the message, a beautiful scholar. They all got to the end of the race well. They finished, like finishing strong. They finished what God had called them to, that course. That The writer of Hebrews says there's a course. Run the race of the course. For each one of you sitting here, God has a, a, a unique course set out for you. You don't have to worry about, man, if you're bronze, if, if you're, if what God's got in store for you is a bronze medal in the comrades, get the bronze medal. Don't use that as an excuse to say, listen, man, I, I'm not ever going to get a gold medal. Let the gold medal guys worry about, they will give an account for what they are called to. We must just be faithful and persevere to do what God has called us to. Isn't that beautiful? He goes on, says, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He's not saying, listen, man, 
you know, you're struggling with a sin and you're going to have to die because of pride. No, no, he's talking about Jesus was struggling against the sin of the world that was coming against him. And he's saying, you, you've got it easy, in a sense, compared to Jesus. So just have you, and these important words, have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses a son? And then he, the writer of Hebrews quotes this beautiful passage from Proverbs, which is, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And so there's this transition point that's coming. Now he's been talking about the race and about Jesus as our mentor, and now he's talking about an allied topic, which is discipline. And um, he's saying, have you forgotten? Now, this letter, if you read Hebrews, these Christians were going through really difficult times. That's why he's written this beautiful encouragement to them to say, don't give up. Some of them had had their houses confiscated by the Roman authorities. I mean, how's that? Like land invasions and just, they probably had their savings decimated and they were, they were really struggling. But what the writer says is, that's not unusual for God's children. Through the ages, we go through tough times. Jesus said, listen, in this world, he warns you when, when, when you sign up for the race, when you, you know, like when you, when, you, when you pay your entrance fee to the comrades, they should have like a big sign, thank you for your money, now know what's coming. You better be training. There's a long race. That 11th of June 2023 is going to call on you. And so we engrave danger, I think, especially in our modern age, that, that airbrushes things. You know, we, we're the Instagram age. You've had a really horrible week, but what you post on your Instagram is the Friday where you're having a beer with your mates. Here we are living the life. Or I'm fishing, you know, playing golf with some friends from the church. That's, it's airbrushed. It's not the reality of what the Christian life or life is about. You know, if we... Jesus didn't say, sign up to follow me, and say, look, once you sign up, Grant Hazel, life's going to just be sitting on the cruise ship drinking cocktails as the sun sets, and your wife tickles your love handles or whatever. You know what I mean? It's, it's that type of thing. No, no, no. There's, 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 there's that, and, and there's a danger that in our age, we, that's why we, he says, have you completely forgotten? Our danger is that we forget the reality of what God's called us to. Not in a horrible way, but just... Look, if you want to get the prize, Grant, you're going to need to keep going. You know, you've got to, we've got to keep at it. And so it's a word of encouragement. He takes that proverb thing, and he's not using it to beat the people. It's not what I'm trying to do today. I'm trying to say, listen, folk, there is a race, and it can get difficult at times, and we're going to need each other, and we're going to need God's help and, and sustain it, and we're going to need that encouragement comes from looking at Jesus to finish the race. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. And then he uses this family image of a parent disciplining kids. Peterson says, it's an irresponsible parent that just lets the kids get spoiled. Because it doesn't yield a fruit of what what the Bible says, of righteousness and of, of peace and something beautiful. The outcome of any discipline Self-discipline and a, is a reward. There's, there's, there's change. There's no, without a challenge, there's no change. This is what this whole passage is about. But he does this in a family context, which is so lovely, because as I was preparing, I thought, isn't it a privilege to be part of Olive Tree Kloof, this funny bunch of people, all of us, but we're together in this race, and we're all going to finish. 
That's, what, that's, what, that's why we gather. That's why we encourage one another. Why we pray for one another. Why we need to strip off the things that are hindering us. I was preparing yesterday, and I just felt God use give, give, like an audit. He said, Hazel, when last did you do a self-audit? Now, you know what auditors do? They go into a business, and they, they, their job is to see that the books are a fair reflection of the reality of the health of the company or the organization. That's why they send auditors in. Now, if they do their job well, they can actually get back to the owners of the business, the directors, the shareholders, and say, hey, you think you're here. Actually, you're in trouble. And I felt the Spirit of God say to me, Grant Hazel, do, just do a re-audit like Paul encouraged me. I, I don't want to be sitting on my hands. Where am I? What needs to change in my life? And I issue that as a little bit of an encouraging challenge. Maybe this week say, Lord, what needs, to, what needs to go and maybe what needs to be added to help us smooth that path for us to run along for each of us? Isn't that a beautiful, encouraging concept? How do we react, you and I, to God's discipline? Because discipline is painful. He says that. No one likes to be disciplined. You know, when we used to discipline the kids, I remember saying, listen, it's because mom and dad love you that you've been grounded for two weeks. The kids said, yeah, but so-and-so was there. I said, they're not our kids. You're our kids. We love you. You know, type thing. So you're grounded. Yeah, but you're not grounding so-and-so. His parents can do that. It's this idea of, of a loving Heavenly Father who disciplines us for our good. Peterson says, my dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. Because what often happens is when we discipline, even by hardship, I'm not talking about, sometimes it's just God brings something into our lives because we're not listening to him. And he allows stuff to happen. We just read scripture. And don't shrug that off. Embrace it. Embrace it. Because it's for our good. But don't be crushed by it. I love that. Because God's discipline is not vindictive. It's not like he's, you know, like that's humans, if I'm honest. Sometimes as parents, we're fallible and we do discipline badly. We discipline the wrong way. We, we do things to the kids which is part, partly because we, we're imperfect parents. Our Heavenly Father is not like that. He only disciplines in love because he, his intentions are he wants us to mature, to become like his son, Jesus. And at the end of it, when we are trained by it, discipline produces a harvest. Here's, here's a scripture that it's not going to come up, but it's Philippians 3, verses 12 to 15. This could be a little verse that you could take home with you. It's Paul writing. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. As a young man, Jesus said to me, Grant Hazel, come and follow me. He, he took hold of me. Said, come with me. Come, my boy. Keep walking. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself here to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, this is the attitude I believe the Spirit of God is saying to us at Auditory. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal, that finish line, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. That's my prize. Each one of you have a prize that is awaiting you. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. 
Shall we stand? I'd love to pray for us, and I want to just... Then, what can we be expecting as God's people, as, as, we, as we are in this race? What, is, what does our end goal look like? So here's a spoiler alert. You know, they always give a spoiler alert because they don't want to think. But the scripture actually gives us a good spoiler alert to say, I'm, we're gonna, I'm gonna give you what the end looks like, God says, for all of my people. And it comes from Revelation. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. That's what Abraham in Hebrews 11 was looking to. I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Then he was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun, or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, Lord, as we hear that, we see the finish line, we see the goal, we see the crown and the reward that you have for each one of us. We are encouraged to persevere because of the joy of what lies ahead of us, Lord. Send us out, Lord, with renewed hope, with reignited adrenaline of faith in our veins to continue to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.